The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. As you're turning in your Bibles this morning, if you have a Bible, and if you don't, that's completely fine. We're on page 845 of that blue pew Bible that you have in front of you there. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to mention a a couple of quick things. First, uh, for Kylie, uh, Kylie knew my preaching binder was falling apart. She she got me a new pink one in honor of uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, Kylie, thank you. Uh, I will never lose my binder again, that is for sure. Uh, as life goes. Uh, The second thing I want to make mention of is uh, we did put out over email this week and Facebook that we have officially released our uh, application time for our pastor of worship, uh, which is open now. So uh, that is freely available if you know someone who may be interested in that. Uh, But I do want to also thank our ladies, and especially Tina, for Tina does a lot of behind-the-scenes work in arranging this music. So Tina, thank you very much for all that you have done in this interim time to lead us, and uh, you be in prayer for what God may have, and pray for our personnel team as well. Lots of uh, tough decisions ahead, not tough decisions, it's just, it's, if you've ever been on that personnel team, you know it's, it's uh, so many good things and good people as it comes. Well, we are, we are going through the book of Mark right now, the, the gospel of Mark, and have been, it seems like, since, uh, since the creation of the world, uh, because we are just going slowly but surely, like that little train that could. But uh, we are talking today about fighting the wrong enemy. Many of you may remember this story. It's been several years for some of you, but uh, there was a man by the name of Pat Tillman, and he played football uh, at the Arizona Cardinals for four years and was offered a lucrative contract in 2002 for $4.5 million, more than most of us will see in a lifetime. But he left that football contract to go into the Army. In response, in his thought to go help serve after 9-11, some 16, 17 years ago. He was an army ranger. He was trained in special ops, but he passed away suddenly on April 22nd, 2004. How many of y'all remember this story? Some of y'all, you remember this? And, and the report said that Tillman was, 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 was killed while he was charging the enemy up a hill and had been fired upon and died in a mortar attack, and he was posthumously given the Silver Star and the Purple Heart Award. And Arizona Senator John McCain, who recently passed as well, presented the medals to him being his home representative. But within weeks of his death, it was found that Tillman was not killed by enemy fire. You may recall this. He was actually killed by what we refer to sadly as friendly fire. In fact, there was a mine explosion that one of the group of of army rangers on the opposite side of the hill had fired upon them because they thought they were under attack and were covering the bases. And after the smoke had cleared, Pat Tillman was killed along with another Afghan fighter as well with several injured from the United States. And since that time, several, dozens, many, too many have been killed by friendly fire. I remember Pat Tillman. I have his rookie card at my parents' house in Plattsburgh, and uh, he, he was just a beast on the football field and so much more there. We're not here to talk about the military, but I think it's something to be said that even in churches, we have what is called friendly fire. It's not uncommon among church people, is it? You know what this is. 
we enjoy shooting, so to speak, our own people. This is very sad. This is why many people don't come to church, because they say everyone in church is a hypocrite. Well, so is everyone at hy V, but you go and buy groceries there anyway. <laughs> we have been guilty of attacking our own in the same way, and it could be by the gossip that we say. It could be by the criticism that we give. It could be by the feelings that we hurt. We wound our own brothers and sisters by a lack of love, understanding, and concern for them and their problems. And we turn our, our guns, so to speak, on our, our, our church family when we judge them without getting the facts. When we refuse to give them the benefit of the doubt, we question them for their sincerity, and often when they come seeking forgiveness. The sad fact is many Christians have been wounded by Christian-friendly fire more than we care to admit. What a reminder this morning from Ephesians chapter 5 that the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. <coughs> Excuse me, I've been fighting a cold all this last week. But, but, but well, what does this mean? I mean, Darren, is this just a big kumbaya where we all join hands? You know, we don't want to hurt anyone. We don't want to offend anyone. So where's the line here? Well, what we want to know today and what the Scripture is going to teach us is we never want to be more wide than the truth. We never want to be more narrow than the truth. That is, we neither want to be any narrower than the truth or any wider. See, from, from a Christian worldview, liberalism is the leaven that spreads that causes people to be wider than the truth than it is. God forbid that we would get into that where we say, it doesn't matter what you believe, but as long as there are boundaries which God has set. But on the opposite side, we don't want to go into legalism, where everything that we do goes back to rules that we have made the Scripture does not affirm. So we have to be careful walking both sides of this fence. And for those who have an attachment to the truth, the largest danger is for us to be narrower than the truth. You ask anyone who's ever been hurt by the church, it was often by being more narrow than the truth has ever meant to be. And so narrow-mindedness is usually brought out by bigotry or bias or prejudice or spiritual elitism. Hey, we're over here, we do our thing, we're better than you, and this church over here, you just, you're just weird, go away, that sort of thing. And we're intolerant of others to a fault. And it causes us to, quote-unquote, shoot with friendly fire our own soldiers. And it leads to a double separation. It leads to separation from the world. Hey, we don't want to be like you. But it also leads to separation from other Christians. Hey, we're better than you. And this is the sin that Jesus is going to be addressing today. Sin is a real thing. If there are two disciples that fought this, it would be John and Peter, the sons of thunder as we know them to be. John is going to open his mouth and reveal how sanctifying grace he still needs. But that's the question, Christian, everyone should be asking is, is why are these people getting together? And what do they have in common that brings them together? And, and why should they get together? And what does it profit a church to gain an audience but lose its disciples if we get so wide of the truth? And friends, the question today is, it's not an accident that you are here today. Who is it that you would pray about? God, who is it that I have been so narrow to the truth of or wider to the truth of that I need to come and ask forgiveness from? The big idea today and the big idea is just a summary or the, the rifle shot summary of the sermon is the better we know Jesus of the Bible, the quicker we will repent of being narrow-minded, and I threw this one in, pig-headed, small-hearted in our churches because grace liberates what it is. 
Now, let me be very, very clear here. Imagine if we all did good deeds. Imagine if we all loved each other, if we recycled, you know, if you put out that yellow bin or blue bin, whatever you got, and you went to church, but you didn't treasure Jesus Christ. Satan would absolutely love that. You see, because Christian credibility today requires grace to counter legalism, to counter prejudice. Grace isn't stingy. It doesn't hoard up its riches. It's never tired or impatient. It never gives up. And may we pray, Lord, would you help me to not be wider than the truth or narrower than the truth, but to walk by the truth you have set before me. And as we do that, we will see a mighty change in us. So two things today. Baptist preacher with two sermons. God, you will. You just leave it where it's at. Two reminders as we follow Christ today. The one who is not against Christ is for Christ. And the one who serves Christ will be rewarded by Christ. If you're able this morning, if you're visiting, we, we stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you would stand with me as we read just three to four verses this morning from Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. And we will be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Verse 40, For the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whatever you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, by no means will lose his reward. Friends, this morning I pray that as we seek to live out what Christ has given us, we do so in a way that honors all that Jesus has. And when honoring all that Jesus has, we see people not as a project, but as those created in the image of God. Would you pray with me this morning as we kick off and start? Father God, what a joy it is to be here. Father, even on days when uh, it's cloudy and gray outside, we are grateful that coming together as a church reminds us that our, our lives are more than just our routine through the week, but it is everything that we have, and we have, and we know that it is about Jesus and for Jesus. Lord, thank you for the grace that we have. Thank you for the truth that we have. Thank you that in everything we seek to glorify Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as we come to this time, I want to remind you where we have been in the last couple of weeks. We, we, we saw last week that these disciples were arguing who was the greatest, who, who was the best of the best. Before that, Jesus had told them that, that, that he was going to die and he was going to be resurrected and he was going to come these things. But now these, these disciples are, are ready to serve Jesus. They want to go out with his plan. But they, they especially have to learn today that God's kingdom is bigger than their experience of it. You ever been around a person before where they say, well, if you don't come to our church, you can't ever get to heaven? There are people that do this, yes. There are people. But Sinclair Ferguson, a great theologian, said in the last analysis, it's more important that the people of God are devoted to Christ 
than that they are to one of us, speaking of, of followers. You know, there are people who will go, you remember, some of y'all, this has been 22 years ago, the Hale-Bopp Comet, do you remember this? Back in the mid-90s, uh, people in California put $5.25 in their pockets, took off their shoes, and, 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 and you know they took their lives believing that they were sincerely into something that was correct. Some people drank Kool-Aid in the late 70s. I mean, you fill in the blank. But what the disciples had to learn is that the God's kingdom is bigger than their experience of it. I want you to look at that verse, uh, starting in verse 38, with the prejudice that you see. Did you notice what John said? If John was on Twitter, he would have been lit up five million times over Facebook. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. And did you notice what he said? Because he was not following us. In other words, John was saying that, that our, 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 John said to him, well, first off, this is the first time John speaks in this gospel, the only time you hear John in the gospel of Mark. They're in Peter's house, you may recall, uh, where, where Jesus talked about the servants doing these things. But he looks at him and says, teacher, you're going to be pleased with what comes out of my mouth. What I'm about to tell you is going to rock your world. What I'm about to tell you, Jesus, is so profound, you're going to give me the greatest place in heaven. We saw someone. He doesn't say who, but it's a real person. This whole episode is about this someone, this some disciple that we don't know who it is. We don't know the particulars. But there was something going on in that day where there were lots of demons going around. And as Christians, tomorrow is October, so the inevitable questions will come. Pastor, do we believe in demons? Yes. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? No. Is Satan real? Yes. Is Satan in control of anything other than what God gives him? No. But in this time, demons were everywhere. The, the third of the angels who rebelled in, in a day long time ago, but... He said that he came and he, he tried to do it in your name. Jesus, that's not right. He's not one of us. He's not a Baptist. He's not an evangelical. He must not be right. And he said, he came in your authority. And, and John is basically saying he's not a wannabe exorcist. He tried to exorcise these demons out. And, 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 and he did this. And did you notice what he said? Notice the prejudice here, and we tried, Jesus. You'd be proud of us. We, tr we tried to stop him. And if you remember the story, go back to chat. You're in Mark chapter 9. Big numbers are the chapters, small numbers are the verses. Go back to chapter 9, verse 14. Do you remember the story, the man whose son was healed? Notice what he says in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the disciples arguing with them. And immediately... When they saw him, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, talking about Jesus. And, and, and someone from the crowd, verse 17, answered, Teacher, I brought to you my son and his spirit that seizes him. And whenever he seizes him, it throws him on the ground and it foams and grinds his teeth and it becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able to. John is looking for some redemption here, guys. If John can't cast out the demons himself, then he is going to make sure that those who are trying to are not going to get any credit for it. Now, we've never done that, have we? We've never tried to oversell ourselves. 
but their pride had been wounded. They could have and should have, but they couldn't cast out the demon. And so when this man comes, John sees it as the perfect opportunity to say, hey, look at me. Hey, Jesus, look at us. And yet again, their pride has stung, and they are smarting from this rebuke that they had back in verses 14 through 17. There's some jealousy here. And there's narrow-mindedness here. Is if, 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 if we cannot, then no one else can. If, if he's not part of us, Jesus, then he can never do anything you've called us to do. Let me remind you, and Amy's going to put this up on the screen, that one of the most compelling statements we can make is to stand in bold public solidarity with other Christians who are not like us. Can I just throw this one out easily, racially? Black Christians, Hindu Christians, Caucasian Christians, Hispanic Christians, Japanese Christians, Chinese Christians, fill in the blank. We stand as one Lord, one faith, one baptism as long as we believe in the essentials as they are. Amen? And the world that we see that Jesus brings is diverse and it brings unlikely people together. But John couldn't get over that fact. He couldn't get over the fact that this man, who is not part of their group, who truly appeared to be following Christ, could be part of the group. So what Jesus is reminding them of and what he is telling them is that the prejudice that you have has to go out the door. It just has to. It just does. Because people who love Jesus are found in highly diverse cultural locations, but all of us are equally insiders by God's grace into God's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? It's not because you went to this school or that school or you didn't go to this school or didn't go to that school. By faith alone and Christ alone is one saved. But I want you to notice thir- verse 39. Notice the prohibition that Jesus says. So John is expecting this lavish response. John, you're so good. You've listened so well. But notice Jesus' rebuke here of what he tells him in verse 39. He goes on and he says uh, to John, But Jesus said, Don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will will soon be able afterwards to speak evil of me. So Jesus now forbids the forbidding, if that makes any sense. Jesus has no sympathy for what John said. John is trying to close the gate, and Jesus says, no, all those who believe in me are welcome to my table. And and there's no one, no exceptions, period, who will perform a miracle. Jesus says, look, if this man believes in me and he's doing works in my name, do not stop him at all. But wait, he's not a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. He must not be saved. I don't know who said amen, but afterwards you're going in the office. (laughs) And remember that Jesus uses a positive of his name here. Remember, it's only through, Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. John 14.6 reminds us that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, it's Jesus speaking of himself, except through me. So what is he saying here? But, but He says, be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. What is Jesus getting at? It's possible to perform a miracle in Jesus' name, but it's also possible to, to blaspheme the name of Christ. But this man is sincerely following Jesus. 
And he says, don't hinder him if he's doing a true work. In other words, Jesus might be saying, anyone doing these things in my name is doing it by my power. It's evidence that he is one of mine. Don't restrain him. Rejoice with him. Now, we just updated our website. This little plug for that. You can go on our website, towerviewkc.com. But going back to the second sermon, the fourth sermon I preached here is going back to the sermon. But Paul had the same thought in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Hear what Paul said. He said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul said, look, there are preachers who are preaching out of selfishness. There are preachers who preach out of, uh, of envy of my position. But if Christ is being preached, let them be preached. So against us and for us leaves no room for neutrality. And Amy will put this up, but having a kingdom focus, having a focus that is focused on Christ means we are delighted with God's blessings on other churches as we are our own. Now, we are Tower View. We've prayed for a church every week, save probably one or two here or there since we've been here. We know that if we treat the church like a business, we're going to treat other churches like the competition. And that's not godly. If we treat our church like, like a monopoly, then we will treat other churches like those pieces that you want to get off the monopoly board so you can buy them out. And that's not what we're here to do, is it? We are here for Christ and Christ alone. Other churches aren't our competition, but they are our family. They're colleagues in grace and kingdom partners. And let me just say a word. What if God were to come to our church and give us so much growth that we had to build that sanctuary that Don, Her- or Don has been wanting to build out here for years and years and years and all that it is. Praise God, amen, right? But if we become the church of first buzz, we need to stay humble. We need to be generous to other churches and beware of the idolatry of success and reputation. We have to be very careful. But blessed is the church that blesses other churches. And blessed is the church that neither competes nor envies with other churches. Sometimes if you're visiting a church, you go around and you look for the best in this and the best in this and the best in this and the best in this, when sometimes the best church you can be in is the very one you walk into. Why? Because if church was meant to be shopped all the time for the best programs and the best of the best of the best of the best, then what do you do with those third world country churches that don't have any of the best of the best of the best? They just have faithful believers who meet around a feedlot. Or or the church in China right now, you've probably seen this on the news, maybe on the alternative news because it doesn't hit the mainstream. But China right now, they are burning Bibles. They are burning churches. They are arresting Christians by the droves. Pray for China. But they don't care about competition between this church and that church. They only care as long as people are sincerely following Christ and they believe the essentials. That is what matters. May we never lose that here. If we pray for revival for other churches in our city, maybe the Lord will encourage ours too. Can we pray for revival for Clay Como Baptist Church down the road, for Northland Christian down the road, for other like-minded churches within our jurisdiction? Yes. And you know what? That takes a lot of humility. God, if you choose to bless those churches more than you bless our church, Lord, give us a heart of happiness. But Darren, we've got to make budget. But Darren, the Southern Baptists are going to count our numbers. What if they're not as high as the last year? But if we're being faithful church, it doesn't matter, does it? It matters that we are faithful to the task that God has given us in the vineyard that he's called us to. 
So what are we saying? We are saying that the one who's not against Christ is for Christ. One last point on this. I want you to see, we've seen the prejudice, the prohibition. Now I want you to look at verse 40. Look at the principle Jesus tells him. He explains the answer and enlarges it here. Look at verse 40 as we, as we close out this first point. He says, for the one who's not against us is for us. Well, Darren, even the Mormons believe in Jesus. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus. So is, is, is Jesus pulling the universal card here? Is he saying if you're just sincere enough that you can believe and, and it's all hunky-dory? No, that's not what he is saying. We know that you don't look at Scripture just from one chunk, do you? You look at the whole Scripture. You take it all and you, you interpret Scripture with Scripture, and we know that's not the case. We know that there is a narrow path, is there not? It is through Jesus. We know from 1 John that if you do not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, you don't believe He is fully God and fully man, that if you don't believe these things, you cannot be within the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is saying, if those people believe these things and they do things a little bit differently than you do, be okay with that. I hate skinny jeans. You don't want to see me in skinny jeans. Praise the Lord. But there are some churches whose pastors have skinny jeans that, I mean, their legs are probably busting out of them anyway. They're like football players in skinny jeans. But if God has called them to wear skinny jeans in a God-honoring way with beards that make us all look silly because we can't grow that after a year of trying, praise the Lord. It looks a little bit different. If the church is preaching the gospel and they have a, they have a very formal service where you get up and you get down at the right times, you read things off the screen and not off the screen, but they're preaching Jesus and they believe the essentials, praise the Lord. If there are some who, oh golly, I'm going to say this, there are some who are dancing in the aisles in a controlled but not necessarily crazy manner. Is that enough Baptist, is that a fine Baptist line to walk there? Then praise the Lord. He who is not against us is for us. Friends, we have got to be very careful that we do not shut the door and make the truth narrower than Jesus has made it. Jesus has told us time and time again that he who's not with me is for, or he, he who's not, not with me is against me, and he who doesn't gather with us scatters, Matthew 12, 30. The point is, is that there is no middle ground concerning Jesus Christ. No one is neutral. No one is neutral. We are not born neutral. People know instinctively, as you'll see on the screen, that if Christianity is true, they have to change their way of life. If you're a Christian, that's where you have been. You were radically brought from darkness to light, from death to living, that you will not be able to live in any way you, you wish, that there is not a myth of neutrality. There is no Switzerland when it comes to Jesus Christ. That if you are in Christ, you will walk with Christ or you are not living for Christ. There's no playing both ends. There's no one foot in one kingdom, one foot in the other. It's either or, never both and. And we need to hear this. Because when we unite with other Christians, we are saying to the world, we are planting our flag here. Boom! That there is one Lord, one Savior, one resurrected King over all kings, and His name is Jesus. And if you're outside that camp, we want you to come inside. But anyone inside that camp, as long as they're walking faithfully to Scripture alone, then let God use them how they will. 
I do not have a tattoo on my body, and I never will because I hate needles even when I go to the doctor. But I know some churches who have more pastors with more tats all across their body than most people will ever have in a, in a lifetime that are preaching the gospel in more bigger ways than anyone else could. And there are some country churches out in the boonies, out in the sticks. Can I throw any other stereotypical things out here? That God is using bigger than some of the biggest machines that we call ministry churches everywhere. They're preaching the gospel. If anyone is genuinely working for Christ, he is on our side. So, Darren, what about denominations? I mean, why do we have so many denominations? Look, there are distinctives that we believe. There are secondary issues, third-level issues, fourth-level issues, where I think biblically we can, we can part ways a little bit and say, you know, that, that forms a Presbyterian church. That forms a Baptist church. But when it comes about being together for the gospel, we can never sacrifice that, ever. One of my best friends, he's going to listen to this tomorrow morning at his hospital job, and I'm going to get a text as soon as he gets 27, 36 minutes in. They baptize babies. They sprinkle babies. Not for salvation. It's, you can do that thing. We disagree on that. But I guarantee you, if we got up to say, what is the only way to heaven? It is Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we believe on. It doesn't mean we are above correction or beyond going to someone and saying we need to help you think more carefully about biblical truth, but this man didn't follow Jesus in the same way as the 12, and Jesus said, let him be. He's serving me. Last point, and we will close out. Not only is the one who's not against us, uh, Christ is for Christ, but the one who serves Christ will be rewarded by Christ. Look back at verse 41 as we close out today. Jesus says this, he says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So what is he saying? What is Jesus getting at? Well, he gave us a concrete example in verse 40. He told us that we're not to oppose this man the disciples were opposing but now he takes it a step further, and he says that one day that man will be rewarded on the last day. He says, for, for whoever, this refers back to the man, whoever has done these things, whoever receives me like a child, whoever does work in my name, Jesus' name. So he's not introducing a new thought here. He's, it's like the caboose of a train that's on the track, and he's following up. He says, gives you, and he's pointing a finger at the, the disciples. Whoever gives you a cup of water, whoever serves you in the name of Christ is worthy of a reward on the last day. A cup of water to drink, that, that, that is basically the smallest act of hospitality you could give in a desert country like it was in those days. And it'll be important that their needs are met while preaching the gospel. And what they need to know is even though if people aren't preaching to the crowds like the disciples may be, if even they are giving in the name of Christ a cup of water to someone else, Jesus sees that as a positive thing, as an eternal rewarding thing. He's saying, because you are one of my disciples, whoever gives you this cup, my eyes are on that man. I love that man. I love that woman. I love that child. I love that teenager, old, young, whatever it is. But he will by no means, did you notice that? You are in the doghouse when you hinder this person from serving me. 
That's why I think it's very important, as best we can, that we raise up our younger generation to serve within the church. Is that not true? Some of you have been given opportunities at a young age to serve and do things, and we want to do that because who are we to hinder those who've come to Christ within reason? And he says he will reward that John and others should not hinder them, but Jesus will be the one to give the reward. This is a reminder that we are elect, but we are not elite. Did you catch that? If you are a Christian here today, you are the elect of God. God has chosen you before eternity passed, the Scripture says, to be His. But you are not elite. You might be elite in, in, in some other things, but spiritually do not allow elitism to go into your heart. It has been well said that Christianity is one beggar leading another beggar to bread. And that's all that it is. Christian, you are not better than the Hindu who, do, who, does, who believes in a pantheon of gods. You are not better than, than um, the atheist who decries that there is no God, or the agnostic who acknowledges that perhaps there might be a God, but I'm not sure. We are all standing, created in the image of God. You are in a better place, yes, because by God's grace, He's unscaled your eyes and opened them to see the truth. But at the end of the day, the most humbling thing about being elected in God, but chosen by God is that it cuts away all spiritual pride. It should. Because if you could earn your way to heaven, you would look at it and say, whoa, look at me, I did this. You know, those of you all who have Facebook, this is coming due. Uh, it, it's, it's running season, so you're going to start to see a lot of your friends on Facebook who run, put, post their photos, uh, and that's fine, that's great. And, and there's some pride that wells up even as you post those things like, wow, I did this. And, and, and you look at that and say, man, I could never do that. But you do something and we look and say, wow, that's amazing. But in salvation, being saved, we know there's nothing you can do to come to Christ except by his grace. And these disciples had forgotten that already. They had already forgotten that lesson. So where does this leave us today? I want to leave you three quick words, and I mean these will be quick for sake of time. Where does this leave us today? What does this require of us? We need discernment. Let me be very clear here. Not everyone who ministers in the name of Christ is saved. Be very clear on that. Just because they name the name of Jesus does not believe that they are the people of Jesus. Does that make sense? We must genuinely exercise discernment between the genuine and the fraud. Matthew seven twenty one and 23, the well-known verses. Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus speaking of himself, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just because any preacher, whether they are in a smaller church like ours or a TV preacher, televangelist, speaks in the name of Jesus, we do need to check to see whether they believe the essentials. But if everything checks out and they believe the essentials of the faith, then may God bless them in that endeavor. We also need, I could not, I was trying to alliterate these, so forgive me, difference, deep deference. Basically, we need to, toward the one who's a true believer, and we, we need to show priority and show, so to speak, the priority of evangelization to those who oppose. 
Let us serve those who are grounded in the essentials of the historic faith. But those who are, are, are not, may we equally evangelize and share the gospel with. We need to have that discerning deference of knowing what is truth. And finally, we need to make a decision. The entire section of Scripture shows there's only one kingdom. There are going to be Baptists in heaven, Presbyterians. I'm sure you can run a list of different folks, but the, 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 the goal is not at this point to say, hey, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the spiritual checkpoint. Are you going to heaven? Let me, let me scan you right now and check. Friends, we need to be careful with that. We do need to check out people by their fruit. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. But don't get into the game of saying you're in the kingdom of God and you're not unless it's so clear that they have rejected Jesus Christ. Let the cards fall where they may. Christian, if you know someone who's walking oppositely but naming the name of Christ, you are within the biblical purview of saying to them, I, I love you, I care for you, but your, your life is walking away from that. But may we not play the who's in, who's out game and leave that to Christ, but may we also at the same time lovingly confront if necessary. I hope you see that line. But friend, if you're here today and you know not Jesus, you cannot have both sides of the fence. You either have to do with Christ or without, but praise God, He's given us everything that we have. Will you pray with me as we close out this morning? Father, as we come before you, we are well aware of the fact that we are in need of grace in these times. We are in need of everything, Lord, to discern the times. Father, I thank you for the faithful gospel proclamation that's happening literally in hundreds of thousands, if not more, churches around the world. Father, not that Christ has to be re-crucified every time we gather, not that Christ is the literal spirit brother, as some say, of Satan, not that Christ is the archangel Michael, as some believe, but for those who hold to the historic truth that your Son, fully God, came down to us, condescended to us, tabernacled among us, lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we couldn't die, absorbed the wrath of God, was buried and rose again, literally, bodily, physically on that third day, as real as we speak now. Lord, and, and believing that your word is truth, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. Lord, all those great historic truths for your glory alone. Father, may, may we celebrate Lord, we have differences, clearly, in some secondary, tertiary, fourth-level issues. But, Lord, where we come together is that you are king, that you are Lord, that you are coming again. May, Father, may you give us the discernment not to make truth more narrow than it is, not to make it more wider than it is, but to walk the path that Christ set for us. Help us to do that with a loving heart, with humility, with grace. Father, we love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Join us in standing as we close out with our last song, I believe.